You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. It's good to see everybody. Good to see visitors. Um, a lot of our own people are away because even people who live by the seaside go away on holidays and they go to somebody else's seaside. I tried to think of something I could call this morning, so I just came up with a statement. It's this. The woman who thought she was untouchable, the man who believed he was unsavable, and the saviour who knew they were wrong. There's quite a bit of Bible reading this morning, but I think there's so many things we learn from parables and from incidents that Jesus was involved in. So, most of you will know the one I'm going to be talking the readings because they're so popular but there's some things that we can still glean today and I think it's important these aren't just things locked in the past it should be things that affect us now and the way we live and maybe how we see the world the first one is about Jesus who was going on a journey and he was going from Galilee Judea back to Galilee but there was this area called Samaria in the middle and most Jews would avoid Samaria even if it put a couple of days on the journey they wouldn't want to go there because these were not very nice people unbelievers you get tainted if you go anywhere near them so I'm going to start reading it's John 4 now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. What I've just said about not wanting to, that's a strange thing to say. Now he had to go through Samaria. Actually he didn't. He could have avoided it, but it would have put more time on his journey. But it says he had to. And the more you think about it, I think he had a divine appointment. Something in him said, I've got to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew? And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. Why was the woman coming at noon, high to the day? Most women would come early in the morning and again in the evening when it was cooler. This woman was by herself, why? A lot of people think it's because she probably didn't get on with the other people in the town. She was isolated. So she came in the heat of the day. And so she comes to draw water. She's got what she needs to draw water and she sees this Jew, and she obviously knew he was Jewish, and yet he speaks to her. He speaks to her. And the assumption when he says, give me a drink, well, you've got nothing to 
get the water with. So what's the assumption? He wants to use what she's going to get the water with, but that's unspeakable. It's unthinkable that a Jew would want to do that. And so she's got all these things going through her mind and why some of her responses are what they are. And then Jesus starts talking about living water. Not just well water, but living water. But he goes on and he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And so the woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water every day. It used to be a woman's job to do the water carrying. It's all right, Nick, men. I want a very good job. And she's gone straight back, hasn't she? Thinking he's talking about, oh, I only have, I have to do this again. How oh, it's going to change my life. He said to her, go back and call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. She could have lied, but she spoke the truth. And Jesus added a few more and told her exactly what the truth was. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are, you are a prophet. Because he knew what had gone on in her life, now she's saying you're a prophet. So she wasn't unaware of her religious things. She knew. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor the, neither in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Reminded me of um, one of the gods that Paul saw in Athens. All the gods they worship, but then one to an unknown god. So they must have also been worshipping an unknown God. And it just reminded me, Jesus saying to the woman, you don't know who you're worshipping, but we know. And Jesus continued, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worship the worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So she knew about a Messiah coming. And she also believed that when he comes, he's going to tell them all these things. He's going to teach them. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. How many times did he tell his disciples, don't tell anybody who I am? Yet he meets a Samaritan and a woman in that culture and he's telling her plainly, I am the Messiah. And just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. That's the first thing, because Jews didn't actually like speaking to women either. The men, religious men, didn't. But no one asked, what do you want? Then Jesus declared, I'm sorry, wrong line. Why are you talking with her? They didn't even ask that. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. 
But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone else have brought him food? They're just thinking of natural food. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others, others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them everything I ever did. Or he told me. Jesus told this woman there was going to be living water. He was the one who could give living water. And within minutes, she's going into her own town. I believe that living water in that moment was flowing from her to the village. And many people believed because of what she told them. Not 10 days later, not two years later, within minutes, I would believe, she was going and sharing about who Jesus was as much as she knew at that time. So then when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So some became believers because of what the woman did, her testimony. But then when Jesus spoke, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. If you remember a few months ago, I, I preached on about knowing God. Not a head knowledge, but an experiential knowledge. That's the truth of this word. When you know God, it's not just here, it's here. And they came to him and they said to the woman, we don't know now, we don't believe just because of you, but we know now. They experienced Jesus themselves. And what a testament that is, that when we can speak, we can touch people's lives so immensely and we can be part of the getting them to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. When he first met the woman at the well, she was believing every negative thing that had been spoken over her. You're a woman. Jews won't like you. You're nothing. Even midday, you're coming on your own, so what else had happened? She was believing all that, and she was living out that. The reason why she said about You've nothing to draw. I mean, it seems such a simple thing. She couldn't comprehend that he would want to share anything she had. But the old taboos have no light. They have no way to stay in the light of Jesus. She wouldn't know that, but he demonstrated it because he spoke to her. I want to say to everyone, your past is not a problem to Jesus. It never has been and never will be. He spoke to her and said, you've had five husbands. And the man you're with is not even your husband. He didn't condemn her in every way by that statement. All he was saying is, I know. That's all he was saying. He didn't condemn her. She didn't feel condemned. And in fact, earlier on, he said, go and get your husband. He wasn't humiliating her. He wasn't knocking her sick so he could lift her up. He just spoke the truth and changed everything in that woman. And he was still willing to give her that living water that he said he'd come to give in spite of what she'd done, in spite of her past. Because for her, it was a brand new day, a brand new beginning. We had to realize the future offers us is always far greater than the past we've left. Don't let it stop you going on with Jesus because of the past.
And we also learn something here. There are times when spiritual food is more important than physical food. I love food. I don't like fasting. In fact, I've not done it for a long time, but I used to. But, oh. but isn't there times when we need to spend with God? It's more real and more beneficial than physical food. Look how Jesus put it. I tell you the truth. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Spiritual food to Jesus was doing what God asked him to do. And he could see the harvest waiting to come in. That woman became a life-giving river to her village. One encounter with Jesus changed everything. And her testimony brought many to seek Jesus for themselves. What a testimony. Jesus said, I've got a man's innermost being and woman's. Rivers of living water will flow. And where living water flows, it always brings life. And that's what we've been imbibed to us. Why did salvation come to the woman and a village that day? Because Jesus decided to take a shortcut through Samaria. And he was willing to talk to a Samaritan woman, an untouchable woman, in spite of convention. I'd like to look at Luke chapter 15. You know this one as well, the parable of the lost son. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. That sounds such a simple statement, but to put it into effect would have been awful. Realizing assets, everything else, doing all that. Like the son saying to his dad, I can't wait for you to die. You know, all the implications of that in two short sentences. But the father did it. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You can't get any lower in the Jewish eyes than feeding pigs. I think Jesus is just making the point how low this man had fallen. And when he came to his senses, amazing phrase, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. I wonder how many times he rehearsed that statement he was going to do. Kind of hone it anyway. Will it, will it be good enough, you know, to break through? Will it? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Why could his father see him a long way off? The implication to me was looking. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. In the Jewish culture, for a man of authority like this father was, a landlord, to run was absolutely humiliating. It wasn't regal. You imagine long flowing robes, he'd have to hoist them up. You'd see his legs, it was humiliating. And yet the father saw his son and couldn't care less how humiliated he felt. He ran to his son. And the son began, Father, 
I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He hadn't finished. He wanted to say something else. But the father cut him off. He said, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. It's been said that this parable is more about the father's attitude than about the son at all. Just listen again. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Filled with compassion, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's what he wanted to say, but he didn't get it out, did he? Treat me like a hired hand. And then the father took over before he could say, treat me like a hired hand. Put a robe on him, put sandals on his feet, put a ring of authority on his finger. Don't treat him like a hired hand, treat him like a son. Prodigal son couldn't see any way back to sonship. He thought he'd lost it, he'd blown it. Gone as low as he could. Father would never want him back as his son, but he might take him back as a hired hand. That was his thinking. The truth is, his father had never stopped thinking about him as his son. He was always his son and always would be. Treat me like a hired hand. No, treat him like a son or a daughter. The father couldn't forget that the boy was his son no matter how far he wandered. If you have children, remember that. Remember it. We have to live by and believe what God, what Jesus says about us. Not what others say about us, not what life's experiences tell us, or not even what we think about ourselves, because we'll always fall short of what God thinks about us and his plans for our lives. Every day, remind yourself of who you are and not what you used to be. For every person who comes to Christ, you're a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Don't allow the past to dictate and dominate what you think about yourself now, because it's gone. I said earlier, your past is not a problem to Jesus. It's your present and future that concerns him now, and the plans he has for you. If you linger in the past, it's the devil's playground because their condemnation will come and you're not good enough and all those other things. I am not saying here, don't think of where God has brought you from, but don't dwell on it all the time. The more you dwell on the past, the more you will stop going into the future God has prepared for you because you will never think you're good enough. Sometimes we just have to take God at his word and trust him. That son never stopped being a son, even though he thought he had. He didn't think there was any way back but he didn't count on his love of his father. The woman was untouchable, so she thought until she met Jesus. Acts chapter 3 tells us this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. 
Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple court. Can I just say, the role of a beggar was accepted in Jewish culture. Why? Because one of the commands was, be generous and give to those who haven't got enough. So actually, they could fulfill the law by giving to a beggar. So they had a role to play because it made the, the giving Jew look good. So it's purposed in society. So this guy was taken every day outside the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. And I think he was expecting some money, obviously. So the man gave him their intention, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he took him by the hand and he helped him up and instantly the man's feet became strong. What an awesome miracle that is. And then he got up and he started jumping. Amazing miracle. And then the man goes into the temple courts and he's praising God and everyone sees him. Why did the lame man walk that day at the temple gate? Because Peter and John were there. And the life that Jesus had imparted to them, the living water, the life flowed out of them and touched the man. Peter said, what, I've, what I do have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we take the kingdom of God with us. God doesn't often do things from a distance. He does sometimes, but mostly it's because you're there. Because Peter and John was there, because Jesus met the woman at the well. We have such a role to play in extending the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes we forget. Anything can happen where you are, any moment in time, any miracle. God wants to come flow through you. As the life-giving life in you flows out. Anywhere at any time as God wills. In fact, we're told in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus sent out the twelve. And he called them, he sent them out, he gave them authority to drive out demons, to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, all those kind of things. And it was about taking the kingdom of God to the villages. And to the twelve he said this, proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Don't just talk about it, demonstrate it, but it's where they went. They took it with them. And then a bit later we hear that Jesus took another 72 and sent them out to do the same thing. Only to those people, he said, what I want you to do is heal the sick and then tell them you've been able to because the kingdom's here. He covered all eventualities. You preach and you heal, but other times you heal and you preach on the back of the healing. And you can, if you remember, know the story, they went and they saw it. They saw the amazing things that happened. The interesting thing, when he sent out the 72, he quoted something else. He said, the harvest is plentiful but the workers of you. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He's still talking about the harvest as he did to the Samaritan woman, because Jesus could see it everywhere. Do we see it? Do we see the harvest waiting to come in? People were healed and saved because the 12 and the 72 went out and they manifested the kingdom of God because of what was in them and the authority Jesus had given them. 
If we want to see amazing things happen, then God's presence must go with us. I've often wondered, God's presence is in me, but we also want his presence to go with us. You know, it's almost like two things. His presence goes with us, but it's all where we go, we take God with us because Jesus lives in us. And in Exodus, Moses was having a conversation with God. And he said to the Lord, Lord, you've been telling me, leave these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, Lord, this is your nation. This is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said this, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What was it? God's presence. People should see the presence of God in us, but also when we meet, there should be a presence of God here, which we believe it is. How will, what a statement. How will anyone know we're any different unless your presence is with us? How? You've got to be honest, sometimes the church gets bypassed. Sometimes they don't even know there's the presence of God there. You know, it's, it's not just about gathering like this. It's on the streets and the presence of God in, in Peter and John. You know, just being there, the 12, the 72, presence of God ministering to people. John and I were at conference earlier on in the year at Bradford. I can't remember the guy's name, but he's, I think he might even be on the leadership team. That sounds awful, but I can't. But he's from London. And he, he told a story. Um, he's actually a prison chaplain as well. And he'd, he'd gone into this prison one day. And as he was walking down one of the corridors, one of the prisoners looked out of his cell and said, you need to speak to the young guy next door. So he went kind of, obviously the doors must be knocked and he let himself in. And the guy's breaking his heart, probably about a 20-year-old, breaking his heart. So he goes in and just starts talking to him. And the young guy starts telling him something about himself. He's the black sheep in his family. Done awful things. Police always turning up at his door, getting into fights, problems, theft, all these kind of things. And so he's in prison again. But he had a younger brother. And his mum and dad idolised the younger brother because he was never any problems never did anything wrong, he, he's clever, he's going places and all this. But he just heard that he'd gone out of something and somebody had dropped something in his drink, whatever, and now this young man is in hospital, in a coma, not expected to live. And the young man's breaking his heart, he said, it's going to destroy my mother and father. And in the midst of his tears, he suddenly said, if only somebody would pray with me. And so, I'm here, I'm here. So we prayed. And he said, what happened next? As he began to pray, he said, it was as if Jesus walked into the cell. And his presence changed everything. The young guy gave his life to Jesus. Totally changed. And the young guy was seeing exactly what the pastor was seeing. It's almost like the physical presence of Jesus stood there. And the amazing thing was, 
not only was the young man saved, but his brother was miraculously healed as well in hospital. And that's not long ago. We're there April, and he was telling it as if it hadn't happened very long. Why did it happen? Because the pastor happened to be in the cell. He prayed, and Jesus came. Living water flowed out of him. Don't underestimate our role in what God has chosen to extend the kingdom. He's chosen us. You might not feel we're worthy of it, but he's chosen us. The woman thought she was untouchable, but to Jesus she wasn't. Don't let your past stop you getting close to Jesus. The son thought he could never be a son again because of what he'd done. That was a lie. The father never stopped seeing him as his son. And when we have the presence of Jesus, everything changes. Prison cells can radiate with the light of his presence and change everything. Not only for those in the cell, but it touched somebody else in a hospital as well. Just believe the living water in you. Actually, there was something I was going to say about that. He says living water, but then he says something strange to Jesus. He said, it will become a well of living water in you, a spring. We don't know where the source of springs come from. We just know they carry on bubbling. You know, springs can carry on even when there's a drought around. So the living water just can actually be a spring in you, continually pouring forth to touch other people and show the glory and goodness of God. Shall we pray? Father, for all who have given their lives to you, we know that you have given them a brand new life. Your own word declares we've been taken from death to life. It says in one sense we were lost, but then we've been found. And it tells us that old things have gone and new things have come. Brand new creations. And I pray we'd live in that. I pray, Father, that you would, we would have such an um, understanding of your love for us. We know that the past doesn't hold us anymore. It doesn't bind us up. We can move forward. And let us truly believe and trust that you're working in us and through us as your living water flows out of us, as we allow it to. And to realize that wherever we are, there's a potential of the kingdom of God at any moment to be manifested. And sometimes maybe it's only because we don't see the opportunity. And I pray you'd open our eyes. And like Jesus said, God, let us see the harvest ready to come in. Lead us to the people, Father, ready to receive your word. I'm just thinking that, you know, Jesus had an appointment with that woman. I believe that. Let us believe you're leading us like that, Father. Let us trust that you have good works for each one of us to do and that God, when your presence is with us and in us and flowing around us, God, everything changes and everything's possible. I would even pray, Father, as Jesus sent out the 12 and the 72, when words are preached, the actions are always there at the same time. Not only just the words of the kingdom, but the deeds of the kingdom. Your word is living, powerful, changes everything and brings hope. And I just pray that if you've never given your life to Jesus, I just pray you'll do that right now. Your past is not held against you. That woman at the well acknowledged her past. She didn't try to hide it. And in a sense, that was enough for Jesus. And I'm believing that she turned away from the way she was living because of the encounter with Jesus. 
Father, I just pray that if anybody has not made a decision for you by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would begin to speak into their lives and show them the areas where they need to turn away from, what they need to repent of, that turning away, and acknowledging that you are the Holy One. And that in the light of your holiness, everything we do, Father, just fails to change anything. It's about you and about what Jesus has done for each one of us. I pray there'll be those divine moments this morning. Father, as Jesus entered that prison cell, sometimes people are locked up in things from the past, addictions, and we've heard of some this morning, Father, for two people trying to get out of these addictions. Father, it's like being in a prison, but when you enter, when Jesus is there, everything becomes possible, and your love overshadows everything. I just pray if anybody here today is just like that, God, you would enter the areas of their lives to set them free and to bring them into a living relationship with yourself. Thank you for your love. Even when we mess up today, Father, thank you that we don't stop being your sons and your daughters. And you're always reaching out to us to take us deeper into you so we thank you for a great salvation. And we thank you for Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Brixham.church.